All right, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9. And uh, I haven't posted it yet. I'm going to post an article called The Glorious Death of Christendom. The Glorious Death of Christendom. And I'm going to talk to you about this today. Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to... We're going to read Matthew 9, 9 through 13, and then I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to come back to it a little bit later as we go through this message. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. Read with me. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Amen. I want to read uh, some... I, I don't like to just get up and read to you, but I want to read some excerpts from an article. And then I'm going to share some of my own thoughts. This is an article um, called The Missional Church by a fellow named Tim Keller. I want to read the, the first paragraph and then some excerpts. In the West, for nearly 1,000 years, the relationship of Christian churches to the broader culture was a relationship known as Christendom. How many of you ever heard this term, Christendom? That's what this term means. It's the relationship that the church has with the broader culture. We call this Christendom. The institutions of society Christianized people and stigmatized non-Christian belief and behavior. Though people were Christianized by the culture, listen, They were not regenerated or converted with the gospel. Let me say that again. Though people were Christianized by the culture, they were not regenerated or converted with the gospel. The church's job was then to challenge persons into a vital living relation with Christ. Though people were Christianized by the culture, they were not regenerated or converted with the gospel. Now, what we see happening in in America has already long passed, long since happened over in Europe. So, you go to Europe and a lot of the... um, 
the remnants of Christianity is found in the great architecture and the great cathedrals of Europe. But now in the culture and in the institutions, there is, there is not much sign of Christianity. Now that doesn't mean there's not a church. There is a church. There's always been a church since Jesus birthed it. And there will always be a church. But what we can't confuse is Christendom with the church. The church, because of the church, because of the gospel, there was such a thing called Christendom. But they're not one and the same thing. For instance, we often hear it said that America is a Christian nation. The reality is, we're not a Christian nation. We were a nation founded upon Christian principles. So when we, for instance, for instance, when we talk in terms of history or, or, or polit- in, in, we want to talk about world politics, geopolitical uh, things, over in the Middle East, for instance, in countries like Iraq, Afghanistan, where we're fighting wars against terrorists, those Islamic countries, especially those radical sects, they look at us and they say America is a Christian nation. They define Christianity by what America is. You guys understand that that is a horrible thing? Because what America has become is so far from Christianity, but yet there are many people that live in America. There's many people around the world that look at America and they say America is Christian. Why do they say that? Does that mean that every person who lives in the United States of America, every person that's a United States citizen, they are automatically Christian because they are an American? No. We know that's not true, right? They say we're a Christian nation. We're Christian. They define us as Christian because the predominant religion, the predominant belief system that has historically been associated with America is the Christian faith. Matter of fact, we can go back to founding documents, and it's very clear that the founders of this nation were Christian. Whether you want to call Thomas Jefferson a deist or, you know, we can split hairs here, but the, the bottom line is, regardless of whether he was personally saved or not, the things that founded this nation, our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, the, the Federalist Papers, I mean, the reams and reams of writings of our founding fathers, those guys were men of faith. And that translated into the institutions in our three branches of government, our constitution, our state governments, and our state constitutions. You, you would see things early on in the, uh, in the early colonies where if you, aren't a, if you weren't a Christian, a member in good standing of a certain church, a certain Christian denomination, you couldn't run for public office. I mean, uh, people would have a cow today if, we still had, you know, if that was still the standard. I'm not, listen, 
I'm not, I'm not complaining about that. I kind of wish we still had some of those things going on today. But, but here's what I'm saying. Don't confuse the fact that our institutions and our culture was heavily influenced by the Christian faith. Don't, don't take that and now say America is a Christian nation because, because we're not. And as a matter of fact, since World War II, the, the church who up until that point really was in large part the arbiter of, of morality in the nation, the church had great influence in terms of the morality of the nation. The church had great influence in our institutions. It, most people today probably don't even realize if, if in our political client, climate today, when we talk about Harvard and Yale, most conservatives, oh my God, those liberal those, those places need to be burned down. They just turn. Do you know what those places were founded as? They were all Harvard, Yale, Princeton. Those were seminaries. Those colleges were founded as seminaries. They turned out great men of God who preached the gospel, who actually were responsible for this nation being associated with Christianity and and the men that were turned out of those institutions greatly impacted the institutions still present in our culture today. What's happened, though, is Harvard and Yale are no longer associated with Christendom, much less Christianity, are they? Matter of fact, Harvard and Yale and those Ivy League schools are associated with everything that is diametrically opposed to Christianity. But that's not how it started. And for many, many years, for centuries, those were religious institutions turning out men of God preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, what in the world happened? Our culture, our culture began to change. Why did it begin to change? And you see a huge, huge change since World War II. I mean, after World War II, it just started, man, we started the downhill slide. You know, I'm, I'm not from Austin, but I moved to Austin in 81, and my, my wife is from Austin. And my wife can remember being in middle school and getting ready to watch a... Uh, a sporting event at the middle school, and as they get ready to pray, this big old lady gets up and starts screaming. It was Madeline Murray O'Hare. She was from Austin. She lived in Austin. I used to drive by her office all the time. Conway's actually even done work in her office. And people say, well, it all started with her. No, it didn't start with her. It did not start with her. She was just a symptom of something that had Already long started. We just didn't discern what was happening. You know why we didn't discern? We didn't discern and we still don't discern today because we're still living. We're looking at our world through rose-colored glasses and we think Christendom is the way it should be. But the reality is Christendom does not exist anymore. In, in, in the way that we know it. And 
the problem with that is this. The church, the church has not made an adjustment. In this article, he tells a story of this British missionary named Leslie Newbegin who went to India around 1950, and he stayed in India for 30 years, and he lived in India in a totally and completely non-Christian culture. Now, when he left Great Britain in 1950, he left a Great Britain that was a Christian culture. He, he was from a country that was a Christian culture. He leaves his Christian culture in Great Britain, moves to India, lives for 30 years in a non-Christian culture. 30 years later, he comes back to Great Britain, and guess what he finds when he returns to Great Britain around 1980? There is no longer a Christian culture in Great Britain. It's like, this is not the same place I came, I came from. And, and this missionary understood some things. He discovered that now the Western church, too, existed in a non-Christian society, but it had not adapted to its new situation. Though public institutions and popular culture of Europe in North America no longer Christianized people, listen, the church still ran its ministries assuming that a stream of Christianized, traditional, moral people would simply show up in services. They figured out in Europe all the way back in the 80s and beyond that 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 didn't happen anymore. People flee the church to the point that now churches are, they're selling churches for all kinds of things. They're taking stained glass out of them and selling them in antique shops because they can't get people to occupy the churches because it's not a Christian culture anymore the way that they historically had known it. Guess what's happening to America? Same thing's happening to America. The question is, is the church in America going to learn? Is she going to discern properly? Is she going to realize what's taking place? Or are we going to continue to pretend like this is not really happening? So they did not adapt. They didn't reformulate. Now, I didn't say we changed the gospel. The gospel is the gospel. And the reason there has always been a church and there always will be a church is because of the gospel. Now, let's come to America. America is a little bit different. If I say the word Bible belt, do you guys know where the Bible belt is? It's, it, it really is this swatch across the, the middle part of the United States. It's, it's called the Bible Belt. In this article, he talks about it as a heartland. The difference between America and Europe and Canada is this, that in the United States, there's still a heartland. We call it the Bible Belt, with the remnants of the old Christendom society. Now, here's where a lot of conflict is taking place, even locally. I mean, we, we see this. We feel this. 
So there are informal public, there is the informal public culture. That's us. The informal public culture that still, what? That still stigmatizes non-Christian beliefs. This is why at Chick-fil-A last Wednesday, there were people waiting in line for hours to buy a chicken sandwich. This is, it's not the institutions of our culture. It wasn't the universities. It wasn't City Hall. It wasn't the formal institutions of our culture that said, go to Chick-fil-A today and buy a chicken sandwich to oppose gay rights or to stand up for whatever it is. I mean, let's, let's get down to it. Uh, it's about freedom of speech, yes, but the reality is if it would have been probably some other subject, we wouldn't have got that kind of turnout. So the informal culture is still, is still there, still opposing these things. Follow with me, track with me here. It still stigmatizes non-Christian beliefs and behavior. So we find that in America, there's this fundamental schism taking place. In just a couple of months, we're going to have an election, okay? How have they divided our country? How is our country now defined and divided? Two terms, two words, two colors. Guess what they are? Red state, blue state. And you watch the election come November, and, and every, every station is going to have a graph up there you have red state, blue state. And we're going to see that the vast majority of the country is going to be red. But you're going to have these concentrated areas of blue. Bye. God bless you. I love you. Y'all don't work too hard. I know you will, but try not to. They got to go clean the hall up. Um, so... So we have this division taking place, this schism in our country. And we see it, I mean, geographically, we can, we can almost see it. So there's this part in the heartland, though, there's this belt across America that still informally is conservative. Now, here's, here's what happens. In conservative regions, it's still possible to see people profess faith and, and the church grow without becoming missional. Most traditional evangelical churches still can only win people to Christ who are, temper, listen, who are temperamentally traditional and conservative. I'll bet you this morning there's not too many uh, devout atheists among us. If, if you are, that's fine. I wish more devout atheists would come to church. I wish more devout atheists would come and ask questions. You, you know, the church has done such a poor job. I'm going to point fingers at myself, okay? Church has done such a poor job of addressing people's real questions. You know why the church has done that? Because we've lived in Christendom so long, we just, we just assume that, hey, you mean you don't believe the Bible? <laughs> You're a weirdo. Really? There might be a better way to have that conversation. You're gay. You're going to burn in hell, buddy. Well, they might if they don't come to faith in Christ, but there might be a better way to have this conversation. I didn't say don't tell them the truth. 
But there might be a better way to tell them the truth. There might be a way where we can engage in dialogue together and, and speak the truth in love. You know, at the end of the conversation, they may walk away offended, never wanting to talk to me again. But, but there's a way that I could approach them where they won't, I mean, I'm, they won't even give me the time of day to listen to the gospel. And so the church has lived in this environment we call Christendom for so long that now we'll inconvenience ourselves to go buy a chicken sandwich to oppose gay rights, but no one wants to inconvenience themselves to live a life uh, to promote the gospel and to see the lost one for Christ. But yet we'll get all excited about these other things. I mean, everyone's going to come out of the woodwork in November and, and we're going to vote for the most Christian candidate, whatever that means, or the most conservative candidate. Really, people are going to vote on the guy that's going to, they think is going to Make their pocketbook best. And that's, that's a whole other conversation in and of itself. But the church, see, the church is getting caught up in all of this. All we have to do now is have candidates just mention God's name and, oh, he's a Christian. Well, maybe, maybe not. I'm going to vote for him because he invoked God's name. Well, you know, they know all the political tricks. Question is, what you really ought to be doing is looking at their voting record. Did he vote to murder babies? If he voted to murder babies, then maybe you shouldn't believe what he says necessarily on the campaign trail. But he's going to save me money. Did he vote to raise taxes? Well, maybe you shouldn't believe what he's telling you now. Maybe you ought to go back and look and see how many times you raise your taxes before you just believe what they say? But we get caught up in sound bites. So we need to learn not just to be evangelistic, but we need to learn how to reach our culture. Because we're not living in the same nation. My father was born in 1912. This is not the same nation my father was born in. It's the same political nation. It's the same geographic nation. We have the same constitutional form of government, but even that is beginning to fastly disappear. But our institution and our cultures are vastly different today than they were when my father went off to World War II or when he came home from World War II. Vastly different today. But yet the church is still living and acting as though everything's the same. And what's going to happen is we're going to wake up one day and go, well, what happened? Well, life happened. The world happened. Complacency happened. We trusted in Christendom instead of trusting in the gospel. Amen? We're called the church So let, let me read this paragraph to you one more time. In the West, for nearly a thousand years, the relationship of Anglo-Christian churches to the broader culture was a relationship known as Christendom. The institutions of society Christianized people and stigmatized non-Christian belief. P. 
People were Christianized by the culture, but they were not regenerated or converted by the gospel. Romans 1.16 says, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the challenge for us is to discern what's happening to our culture and not get upset and not panic, but to look to God and to trust God, that God knows what he's doing. I think the death of Christendom is actually a good thing because it's going to force the church to become the church as defined by Christ in the Scripture. We're not going to just be able to rest on our laurels or rest on some founding document. And then when something happens that we don't like, we... But what about that? Listen, this is our founding document, okay? Do you know that our Constitution may disappear one day, but this right here is never going to disappear? This will never go away. How do we know? Because Jesus said so. He said, my word will never pass away. So we can't just trust in Christianizing people. We need to believe God for conversions, regeneration. It's no good. Change all the laws in America and force everyone to conform to those laws. Send all the homosexuals back into the closet. Send all the abortions back to the back alley. Have all the teenage pregnancies just quietly disappear like they used to. See, we were satisfied with that. We didn't didn't really think about those things because they were just out of sight and out of mind. But they were there. Now, here comes the homosexuals out of the closet and the Christian community suddenly getting upset. The, The answer is not another law. The answer is the power of the gospel. You know why Madeline Murray O'Hare was able to do what she did? Because the church stopped preaching the powerful gospel of Christ. And people just, in their complacency and their apathy, just, they didn't pay attention until it was too late. In other words, as long as everything appeared good from the outside, we were content with a form of godliness that had no real power. The problem with that is this. God is never content with an appearance of godliness that denies the true power of the gospel. Today, the church is content. As long as our buildings are packed and it looks like we have wonderful spiritual activity going on, well, everything must be okay. No. If that's the case, then Jesus was a huge failure in his ministry because he had a ministry of diminishing numbers. But I submit to you, the lives that were touched and transformed by the gospel of Christ, by the relationship those men and those women had with Christ, is the reason why we're preaching the gospel today, is the reason why this is still relevant today. And transformation, I'm, I mean true 
powerful transformation is not going to happen because of all the bells and whistles. It's not going to happen because we can water down the message and draw people in. It's going to happen because real lives are going to really be transformed. But that's only going to happen through the preaching of a real gospel. And right now, the world is not interested in the gospel because she can't get past the church. And she can't get past the church because the church has been living in Christendom, thinking that what we need to do is Christianize everything. And if we Christianize our government, if we Christianize our institutions, if we Christianize our schools, we'll make those little little babies pray every day, and then God will come back to the school. Oh, my God. Are you serious? I mean, there are people that have that mentality. No. I'm going to tell you what, those little babies can pray every day and no one can stop them from praying. The question is, mom and dad, when you send that kid to school, do you tell that child, pray? Pray, son. Pray, daughter. Do you pray with that son? Do you pray with that daughter? Do you tell them that no teacher, no administrator, no one can keep you from praying? You have a relationship with God that doesn't stop when you walk into the public school. That relationship is eternal. It's there all the time. The Spirit of God on the inside of you is ever making intercession on your behalf. Are we sending our kids to school with that mentality, with that understanding? Or are we pointing at a finger at the institution saying, well, the problem is the institution? No, the institution is simply a reflection of the culture. The culture created the institutions. And the culture defines the institutions. And the church has become defined by the institution and the culture instead of the church defining the culture and defining the institutions. And we've got to get back to a gospel that has the power to change and to transform lives. When lives are changed and transformed, institutions will be changed and transformed. Culture will be changed and transformed when lives changed and transformed. So we can't be content with just Christianizing everything. We've got to look beyond the Christianization of our culture and our institutions. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What's happened is the enemy has lulled us into accepting a form of godliness that is void of power. But that has become an effective strategy of the enemy because it feeds our flesh. Because we're all about, well, it just felt right. I can't tell you how many times people tell you, just, you know, I just, I'm not feeling it. Well, it doesn't feel. Where does it, give me the scriptures that we walk by feelings. It doesn't say we walk by feelings, we walk by faith. Your feelings will lie to you. Your heart will lie to you. How do you know, Pastor Jeff? Because that's what the Bible says. But this book, it will never lie to you. It won't. So we walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. We don't walk by our feelings. So we're lulled into accepting this form of godliness. And it works because it feeds our flesh and it justifies our knowledge of good and evil. It soothes us like the music playing on the Titanic. And we just forget we're sinking. We just, oh, we just listen to the music. Sounds so, it makes me feel so good, but all the time we're just sinking and sinking and sinking. 
Now, now America, here's what's happening. America's starting to wake up. And now people are going, man, what's happening to our country? What's happening to our country is what's been happening to our country for many, many decades now. We just were living in Christendom, listening to the beautiful music, not discerning what was going on. Now something slapped us in the face and woke us up. And it's like, hey, did you know? And there's people saying, yeah, I know. Been trying to tell you. God's going, yeah, I know. Been waiting for you to wake up, oh sleeper. That's what Paul says. Wake up, oh sleeper. He wrote that to, to the Ephesians. But God, listen, God is too good and he's too graceful to allow us to continue in our complacency. He's not going to let it continue. And that's not a bad thing. That's really a good thing. It really is a good thing. So God is calling the church back to the gospel. True gospel conversion. Listen, what we're after is is real conversion. The power of God, the gospel, the powerful gospel, converting men from darkness to light. The problem is we have come to define the power of God based on our sensory experiences. The power of God has nothing to do with our sensory experiences. It can. I love it when that happens. But I'm telling you what, God is powerful whether I feel him or not. The gospel is powerful whether you feel it or not. We've just bought into this thing that if I don't feel it, nothing must be happening. That's like saying if I don't see it, it must not be true. But yet the Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hope is what we know to be certain even though we cannot see it. That's what hope is. So God's calling the church back to the gospel, back to true power, real transformation. It's the difference between people being Christianized and people being converted. One is the influence of man and the other is the power of God. Through the influence of man, our institutions in our culture was Christianized. And the power of God was working there, but really it was more about man, what we came to accept, what we begin to promote. And if the power of God is not there, guess what happens to those things that man has influenced and built? They will eventually crumble and die. And here is the grace of God right now. God is allowing things to crumble and die so that we will be able to experience the real, the true power of God that comes through the gospel. Now here in Matthew chapter 9, this is a story. This is where Matthew, his real name was Levi, where Levi was called to be a disciple of Christ. Jesus passed by from there, and he saw a man named Matthew. If you read Luke's gospel, Luke uses his, his Gentile name, or his, not his Gentile name, his um, Levi, his, um, his name before. You know, Jesus changed his name to Matthew, just like Peter's name was Simon 
And Jesus said, "Ah, you're no longer Simon, now you're Peter. Matthew, in his gospel, uses his given name by Jesus, a man named Matthew. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Pretty simple, follow me. And you know what Matthew did? It says he got up and he left everything and he followed Jesus. There was the call. Now, he followed Jesus. Luke fleshes it out a little bit more. It says that Matthew throws a big party in his house. And he invites all of his friends. Matthew didn't hang out with the best group of people. He was a tax collector. He was a Jew, but he was a tax collector. He might as well have been a Gentile. He might as well have been a Roman because the Jews hated the tax collectors. They're also called publicans. If you ever read a Bible, it says he was a publican. That word publican, that's what, they, that's what it means. He was a tax collector. Tax collector, the, the, uh, you know, the career of tax collector hasn't changed much. Tax collectors aren't like much more today than they were back in Jesus' day. Sorry if you're a tax collector. It just kind of goes with the territory. You know, it's like lawyers and pastors. We're just not real popular sometimes. And so, follow me. So he gets up and he follows Jesus. And it says, now it happened, as Jesus sat at the table, so they're in Matthew's house, Matthew's throw, he's, he's having a big meal, and he's invited all his friends over to meet Jesus, because what did Jesus just do? Well, if you read up above this, Jesus just healed somebody. It was miraculous, and there was this big hoopla. Who has the power to do this? Well, Jesus does. And Jesus gets up after he heals uh, this person. He arises, and he, he goes, and he sees Matthew, and he says, follow me. He just keeps going. He's not trying to convince him of anything. He just looks at him. He says, follow me. Matthew, he just gets up and he follows Jesus. Now they're all in Matthew's house. They're eating together. Here's the tax collectors and the sinners all sitting down with Jesus and the disciples. Verse 11, what, what do they have there? What, what is that a picture of? Follow me is the call. That's the call. Follow me. Do you know that's the call that God's put upon your life? Follow me. People are out there trying to figure out what, what's my purpose. What, what is God? Listen, what he's called you to do is follow him. Just keep following him. Keep growing in him. Keep learning. Just follow him. That's the call. He'll, he'll make all the rest come to pass. He will, I promise you. Just don't stop following That's the call, follow me. Then we see next, here's Matthew, Jesus, the disciples, and all these tax collectors and sinners, all having a meal together. You know what that's a picture of? Community. They were in community together. And here on the outside, looking in, are the Pharisees. And you know what they said? They said to his disciples, why does your teacher, why does your rabbi eat with tax collectors and sinners? Doesn't he know better? Doesn't he know we're Jews? Or today, here's how we could say it. Doesn't he know we're Christians? What's he doing in there with tax collectors and sinners? Doesn't he know we're Christians? That's what Christendom does. Christendom stigmatizes everybody that doesn't conform to who the culture says they should be. Now, 
we got some reverse discrimination going on in the culture because guess what? The culture is no longer conformed to Christendom. We don't have a Christian culture any longer. And now we got Christians which are on the outside feeling the heat because, well, the school doesn't want me to pray anymore. And the place I work is going to give the same rights to that gay couple as they're giving to me and my wife. Now, agree or disagree, I, I have strong opinions on those things. But, but that's a different conversation. Here's the reality. What are you going to do about it? Are we going to kick against the pricks? Are we going to bury our head in the sand? Are we going to say, it's not fair, and cry? Or are we going to say, you know what? Here's reality. We don't live in Christendom anymore. We don't live in a Christian culture anymore. We live in a nation in which the Christian culture is decreasing. And we used to be able to rely on Christianizing people and institutions, and we can't do that anymore. And you know who's responsible for that? You know who's responsible for pulling the plug on that? Not the devil. I promise you, not the devil. Because there's nothing more the devil would love than for us to keep Christianizing people. Just keep having people conform to something that has an appearance of godliness, but there's no real power there. The devil would love that all day long. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about gay rights. He doesn't care about gun rights. He doesn't care about any of that stuff. He doesn't care about your conservative or my conservative values. If he can trick people into thinking they're Christian because they've been Christianized, he'll do that all day long and laugh as they burn in hell. You know who's pulling the plug on that? God is pulling the plug on that. It's like the pastor that went to China. And he gets up in the middle of the secret church meeting. And he gets, he gets the microphone. They have this little, little thing. He gets the karaoke microphone. And he starts praying, Oh, God, please make the persecution stop in China. And the Chinese pastor about broke his leg. He couldn't get up there fast enough to take the microphone away from him. He said, don't pray that. Don't pray for the persecution to stop. It's the persecution that is causing the church to... We're, we don't have a problem with persecution here. Listen, pray that the gospel go forth. Pray that doors of opportunity... Don't, don't worry about persecution. Pray that God's will be done. Pray that the gospel go. God will take care of the person. He'll take care of all of that. But see, in our Western mentality, we think, well, it shouldn't be that way. It's always been that way. We've just been shielded from it. We've been protected from it here because we don't know what persecution is. We haven't been persecuted. We've been seduced, which, by the way, I think is much more dangerous than persecution. The church has been seduced into thinking if we can Christianize everything, then it's all okay. God says, no, think again. That has not worked very well. So you know what I'm doing? I'm going to pull the plug on Christendom. And he's challenging the church to not be content with just Christianizing everything. Don't be content with a form of godliness. Don't be content with just a good feeling. No, the true test is not my feeling. The true test is my fruit. The true test is not how the church feels. The true test is the fruit that's being produced and manifest through the church. And listen, if the church is producing the fruit of the Spirit, I promise you we're going to see the effects of it around us. Now, I didn't say it's going to change everything, 
We might experience even greater persecution, but I'm going to tell you what, there will be real lives really transformed, powerfully transformed. And that should be our greatest desire. So here's Jesus with all of these tax collectors and sinners in community with the sinners. He wasn't participating in their sin. They invited him to, 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 to their house. This isn't Jesus going down to the bar getting drunk with the local alcoholic. No, don't use, don't use the gospel, don't use some, some nice thought as an excuse for you to go participate in sin because that's, that's wrong. But Jesus was really in community with these sinners. And there were really religious people who were the bastions of Christendom, if we can say it that way, the Pharisees out there going, Jesus, you're wrong. You shouldn't be in there with those sinners, don't you know? You wonder why the, those tax collectors and sinners never went to the Pharisee's house to have supper? <laughs> well, first of all, the Pharisees wouldn't allow them into their house. And they wouldn't have wanted to go anyways. But here's Jesus in community with sinners. Pharisees see it, and they say, hey, they're complaining to the disciples. They're, why? Because what Jesus was doing was challenging the complacency of the status quo. You know what the church should be doing? The church should be challenging the complacency that comes with the status quo. And when that happens, you know what we're going to have? We're going to have controversy. There will be controversy. So we have this controversy. These Pharisees couldn't understand. Here's the response of Jesus. Jesus heard what they said. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Was Jesus calling those Pharisees righteous? Contraire. He was calling them absolutely unrighteous. The righteousness Jesus is referring to there is self-righteousness. He says, you guys are self-righteous. You, you guys cannot hear anything I have to say because you are trusting in your own righteousness. You don't believe you need anything I have. These people, these tax collectors and these sinners understand they need what I have. So here's my challenge to us today. Where is the church that is demonstrating to the tax collectors and the sinners? Where is the church that is demonstrating to the world that we have something that is different? Something that they cannot get, that they cannot buy anywhere else. Does that mean they're all going to accept the gospel? Absolutely not. Many, many, many will reject the gospel. But if they reject the gospel, let them reject it for the right reason and not the wrong reason. Matthew 23, we'll look at it next week. Jesus says, woe to you Pharisees. Woe to you Pharisees because you have the key. He says, you have shut up the kingdom of God. You won't, you won't even go in yourself, and you're barring the way for others to get in. Woe unto you, Pharisees. I wonder how Jesus looks at what is professed to be the church today. I wonder if Jesus looks at much of the church and says, you are barring the way. You are shutting up the way to the kingdom of God, and you won't even go in yourself. 
that should not be the testimony of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is allowing Christendom to die so that the resurrection of life and the glory of the Father can be raised up. So that a glorious gospel can be raised up. So that a glorious church can be seen as a light in the darkness. Amen.